everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of Everyday Theology. I'm here, as always, with the wonderful, amazing, inimitable that's Guy Parkerson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how great that is. Listen, so for the sermon this past week, we looked at the end of Acts 4. Uh, finally concluding Acts chapter 4. We've been in Acts 4 for about six years, I it's think. It's a fun text. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just, a, just a great chapter. But now we got this sit rep on how things are going with the church. Uh, and it's just a, it's a great passage of scripture. There's, I mean, it's loaded with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and right. This sermon glanced off of a number of things, but there's so much more there. So uh, what, uh, what was the takeaway from this text? You know, what I took away was literally in less than 10 verses, you've got these strangers to the, uh, you know, John and Peter mm-hmm. and they, I mean, you see a dramatic change in 10 verses. They're questioning John and Peter, and now all of a sudden, I mean, they're willing to hand over all their stuff yeah. uh, for the gospel. And I, I, I couldn't help but go on and think, what would that look like for the church today? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what what a what a model they have have set. What an example they've set for us that. Uh, in, in terms of unity, in terms of generosity, I mean, their incredible faithfulness, which those three things happen to be my three uh, points to the sermon. But they have set a pattern that's it's pretty high. They, they've set the bar really high uh, for us as a church. But as I, I tried to make the point, you know, we dare not look at this and go, wow, that's an exceptional church that we could never do that. That's not the point. Mm. This ought to be common. And it's not. It's not. You know, another thing that I, I, I noticed that do you see where possibly socialism and communism have taken this and used it for, because I've always said communism sounds great on paper. <laughs> the problem is, is the corruptness of yeah. mankind. Yeah. It just won't work because all it takes yeah. is one bad link to make it all fall apart. You're spot on, you know, socialism, communism, because there's a reason that ideology has been attempted in multiple places throughout history. It, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just terribly broken. It's failed every single time it's ever been tried. But the problem is a text like this, any text of scripture can be abused. And this text has been abused. Joseph Stalin, used this passage of scripture to justify communism. Uh, they had all things in common. It's right in communism. There. Right. It, 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 it's right there. That, that is the basis of communism is we're all you know, common. We're all equal uh, in everything. You know, that, that's the, the socialist ideology is everybody has an equal amount of things. Well, then you, if you read that into the text, it, it seems like the church is promoting a, a socialist ideology that's not actually the case because here's the difference. This is voluntary in Acts 4. Socialism is government mandated. Mm. It's forced. And it, that never works when it's forced. You know, forced equality is not actual equality. Uh, but when, when a group of people decide as, as God's people, hey, my stuff, listen, still my stuff, but if you need it, consider it yours. Uh, so I, I'm not... You know, being forced to do all of this, I would be delighted to yeah. help you. They're willing in participants. Any way. It, that that is the fundamental difference right. uh, with with all of this, and and really even the Russian Orthodox Church uh, abused this. So it says twice that um, people would sell houses, fields, and they would 
lay the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Well, that sounds like uh, this extreme act of submission to the apostles. And it sort of is. The word can kind of lend itself to all of that. And really all it means is they're giving it to the leaders of the church and the church becomes the financial clearinghouse for all of these funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not trying to do it on their own. The, the church becomes this. So the church had a treasury and the apostles are in charge of, of all of that. But what they did with this was, oh, well, if they're, they're bringing these gifts and setting it at their feet, what that means is they should be elevated and uh, they should have some sort of formalized power. So the Russian Orthodox Church started putting their church leaders up on little thrones <laughs> that got higher and bigger over time so that when you come to the church, you, you bow at my feet. Which is not at all what the text is, is, is doing, but again, it opens itself up to those abuses, which is unfortunate. So th- this is why we do exegesis, not eisegesis. Mm-hmm. Remember, I- eisegesis is reading into, the, you take stuff and you read it into the text. Exegesis, you're pulling out, you start with the right. text itself. And you know, unity seems like the key word in that. Mm. In the example of the Russian Orthodox Church, you were saying they were already putting themselves at a standard oh, yeah. that's, above. That's not equal, that's they, not unity. They've already, yeah. they've already uh, corrupted the, the system. Yeah, so that, that's the whole point, really. Again, these, these people come together. All of the, the barriers are superseded. All of the stuff that would divide, again, all, all of the things that tribalize people into, into different camps, it's all gone in the yeah. church. And uh, kind of leads me into the A.W. Tozer quote where mm. you had said that uh, the, the hundred pianos, they're not tuned to each other, they're tuned to the standard. Mm-hmm. And um, if you don't have that standard, then there is no standard. Right. Right. Yeah. What do you do without that? Right. So, you know, a hundred pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. That was, that was Tozer's point uh, because that standard is, is automatically uniting them together. That's, that's more unity than if they tried to get in tune with each other. So if, if you and I focus on our unity and, and we try to manufacture unity, well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to sit down and we're going to say, all right, guy, tell me what you believe about this. What, what do you believe mm-hmm. about this? Tell me about your political views. Tell me about your sports opinions. Tell, you know, all, all these things. And in the name of trying for unity, what we're going to discover is how ununified we are. Right. That we're just in total disunity. But if you tune into Jesus and I tune into Jesus, we're automatically tuned into each other. And all of those other things that we would have focused on, they, they become secondary at best. Right. And now all of a sudden, we, we're in sync and how you parent or educate your kids and your political views and all, all that kind of stuff really just goes to the bottom of the pile because we're brothers in Christ. And that's what matters more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And that almost sounds cult-like. <laughs> because there are similarities in like uh-huh. once again it's yeah. it's when you talk about a cult you're talking about they've twisted scripture into something that is not yeah. and you know i think about the social programs um they are they're just trying to mirror what we're doing oh sure yeah you you see even you know the, the government social programs or you know, ngos or 
nonprofits or whatever um, that aren't faith based, I mean, they're doing good things. Right. They they really are. Uh, you know, we we're happy to you know applaud them and support them and all of that. But they're not the church. No, and say you don't want to give yeah. to abortion that you think it's. Yeah, wrong. I, but see, I'm, once again, I'm not I just fund that, and sure. I just made a standard, mm-hmm. um, and that's that stand. That that was a huge part of my conversion is that standard that we were talking about. Right. Yeah. C.S. Lewis is it is does it exist? Right. And where is it? And the answer is yes, it does exist. Yeah, because it is wrong to rape. I mean, it just absolutely is. There's mm-hmm. not, and that's a standard that I didn't create. You didn't create. One right. plus one is what? It's two. It's two. Every time. Every single time. And that's yeah. a standard that exists outside of my mind and your mind. Mm-hmm. And if we can come to those agreements, life sure is easier. Oh, um, yeah. And so I, that was a big part of my conversion is that standard that we were talking yeah. about. Well, which is, you mentioned C.S. Lewis. I mean, that is his primary <laughs> yeah, argument yeah. in mere Christianity. Right. Uh, How do you tell a crooked line yeah. unless you don't have a straight one? Well, and if, if so if someone wrongs you and... Well, how do you even know if they've wronged you? Good point. Yeah, yeah. how is there a standard? Yeah. But you acknowledge there's a standard, and then you come to me and you say, "Can you? Be- this is what so-and-so did. Can you believe they did that? You appeal to me to agree with you that there is a standard, mm-hmm. that, that yes, that is indeed wrong. Where does that come from? There has to be this standard outside of us, and thankfully, we have truth. We stand upon truth. Uh, which is what the apostles are persecuted for here in chapter three and four. It's what will continue into chapter five. Uh, they're they're persecuted for standing for the truth, which is what makes it different than a cult. So yeah, cults will adopt some of this behavior, yep. and but they'll they'll mistake unity for uniformity, and they'll it, it is brainwashing. It is groupthink. It is we all have to dress the same, mm-hmm. look the same. And you can't have a variant opinion about anything because it's all about submission to whatever corrupt, weird leader is in place. Usually a lot of sex involved. A lot lot of weird sex things (laughs) involved. I mean, that's that's always how it goes. There's always Always. some weird... It's it's money, sex, and power Mm -hmm. that the leaders are after. It's always the the same big three. Uh, It's usually hidden for a while. Then it comes out because they've twisted. You know, most cults have some sort of religious background. They've twisted, so they don't have the truth. The, the difference is we have we have truth. That's what we stand upon. Mm-hmm. And again, the standard isn't we have the same opinion about absolutely everything. everything right. And guy, you can't wear that shirt anymore. Right. You have to start wearing a shirt like this. Right. So I, I do you, like the shirt. Uh, or or maybe different that you know yours is better. So I should probably start wearing that shirt. Right. And I need to wear my hair like you, which. Man, how awesome that would be. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, lots of product. Yeah, if, product. If, if that could be the case, then the world would be a better place. <laughs> yeah, we need more guy yeah, parkers. I'll, I'll join the guy cult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, John 17, Jesus mm-hmm. asks a, a request from God. Mm-hmm. He wants unity f- from his followers, mm-hmm. like God. The Father is unified with Jesus. Yeah. Do you think this is an answer to that prayer in the end of Acts four here? I, I, I think absolutely. It's it's certainly moving that direction. You know that high priestly prayer of Jesus in John seventeen. What a rich chapter. Mm. I mean, you could spend a lifetime in John yeah. in John seventeen. As I was reading it, I'm like, holy cow, there is a lot oh, here. It, yeah. I mean, the the Trinitarian depth in John seventeen mm-hmm. is overwhelming. 
so he, he prays not, not just for the original 12, he prays for all, uh, all, all of his disciples that will come uh, after, so uh, uh, us as well. God, may they be one as you and I are one. So as the Father and the Son are one, so God's people are to be one. So that's the standard for unity. And, and really, even in the sermon, we tried to hit it, the source of unity. You know, Ephesians 4, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, so we don't, we don't create unity. He's provided all of that. We're to maintain it. Uh, so unity comes out of who God is. Unity, this relational concept, comes out of a relational God who has existed eternally, eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. So as he is in unity with himself, we are to be completely unified with him and therefore with each other. Mm. Uh, so you, unity isn't just this, hey, be, get along better with people. Right. Unity is this deep theological concept rooted in the very essence of who God is. Yeah, and that kind of goes, leads right into where I wanted to go next, is you defined holy as mm. separate and other. Is that how yeah, I other, didn't write it down? Yeah, yeah the, the, the word just means set apart. Yeah. Um, you kind of set apart to God, different uh, other is a great way to put it. So when we say God is holy, what does that mean? Uh, we, we don't only think of holiness in moral terms, though, though we should. Yeah. yeah, God is supremely moral. Uh, he is the standard of all morality. He's perfect, flawless, but there's more to it than just morality. God is completely other. Uh, he is not a more evolved human. He's just not a bigger, better version of us. He's other. Therefore, as God says, be holy as I'm holy, we are to be other than everything around us. That's what it means to be holy. Which is totally... I love this you wrote. I put it down. God's expectations are clear. God's people are to live radically different than the world. Um, that is other. That is other. Very, uh, and, it's, and it's been from the very beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis with, with God's initial covenant with Abraham. What does he do? He creates a nation for himself in the world that will be his own possession, that he will bless. And then there's these subsequent promises. The nations will come to you. Kings will come to you. Why? because they're shining like a beacon of hope in a dark world. That's why. Hmm. They are different. The world will notice the Israelites don't function like the rest of the world. So he gives them the law. They don't function like the rest of the world. E even these physical markers like circumcision, you know, how they're, these laws about clothing, these laws about what they can eat and not eat, why all of those things? To show we're not like you. And wow, has the church lost that sense today? Uh, again, you, you walk into the average church's worship gathering on a Sunday, and it's almost as if the, the church is so incredibly insecure that we just want to be like the world. They're cool, and we want them to think that we're cool. So we, we have this cool, hip feel to us because if, if some pagan who hates God comes in, we want them to be comfortable. Well, and I, I can appreciate the heart behind that. We don't want to you know, be jerks unnecessarily. Right. But if a pagan who hates God sits in our worship gathering, I want them to be supremely uncomfortable uh, because I want them to encounter the living God. Um, and, and that makes the, all of the difference. 
we as his people are to be radically other to the point where we're labeled weird. We're labeled socially backwards. Now, don't be weird for weird's sake. Right. You know those people, so do I. That's not the point. The point is our standard is different than the world's standard. We're not like them. And it's okay to not be like them. Uh, In fact, it it should never be okay to be like them. Mm -hmm. God's call on his people has always been, you are distinct from everybody around you. So in a way, if we do start to see governmental persecution, Mm. it's exactly what should happen. Absolutely. Because the the government should be saying, we are the world, this is how you're supposed to act. And we are supposed to say, as counter Carl, not not to be mean, but to say, that's not our standard. You're not our standard. And and again, we can look at these stories, because you're spot on. We can look at these stories of persecution in the book of Acts, and we can go, oh yeah, I, I would totally do that. Really? Mm. Really, though? Yeah. You know, are, are you going to stand before all of the governing authorities who, who've already jailed you for, for the, the crime of preaching the name of Jesus? These, these are people who've proven themselves willing to murder, and they issue these murderous threats. You're just going to go about your business? Um, everybody wants to think they'll do that. But when real persecution actually begins, and it hasn't yet, but when real persecution actually begins, um, there's going to be an exodus from, from the church because people just, they're not going to want to deal uh, with that. But what will be left is the pure church. What will yeah. be left are those who will respond with, you know, bring it on be- because you are not the standard. I don't answer to the government ultimately. I answer to the God over the government who put who even gave you the power that you have. That, that's what Jesus said to Herod. You'd have no power. You'd have no authority unless mm-hmm. it had been given to you. Yeah. So whatever, man, you, you, go for it. Um, so if, if, if and when that starts, it is the job of God's people to say, respectfully, I don't answer to you. Right. And like you said in, in the sermon Sunday, um, throw me in jail. I'll uh, I'll, I'll yeah. proselytize the gospel to the guards. I, I will share the gospel with with all the guards. That I mean, that's what Paul did. You yeah. know, they, I mean, they are literally shackled yeah. to him, uh, the Praetorian guard, and, <laughs> and and he says, you know, why I'm here has become known throughout the whole guard. Why? Because he's telling them right. they are you know, to use a dad joke. They're a captive audience. They can't. You know, it, it's not that Paul is the prisoner shackled to them. They're shackled to him, right? You know, what, what a, and he views this as the, an act of a sovereign God. Hey, I'm I'm in jail, but I've got these pagan guards who don't know the Lord. So guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tell them all about the resurrected Jesus. Again, if they threaten to kill me, great. Yeah. I get to go be with my Lord. In fact, I would prefer that. Philippians chapter one. It's, it's better by far, he says, to depart and be with the Lord. But you know, if, if I live another day, that means faithful service for the church. Yeah. What an attitude to adopt. It is. Yeah. Ian, I don't really have anything else. You covered so much. Um, yeah, and there's a lot. There, there's a lot, again, from 32 to 37. You're not talking about a lot of verses no. here. But it's it's really packed full of really good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have anything else. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, what's coming next. It, Especially the the next uh, text as well, but you know, things really uh, take off here in a little bit. You know, the end of our passage 
uh, from this last week, we're introduced to Joseph, who mm. we all know as Barnabas, right. uh, who travels with the Apostle Paul. He's a major player in the book of Acts. And we didn't touch him at all in the sermon. We, did, we didn't discuss him at all. I had it in my notes. Yeah, because you know, it's, uh, it's a bad chapter breakdown. Yeah. Because Barnabas is set in contrast with Ananias and Sapphira. We get in a little trouble. And we're going to we're going to contrast those mm-hmm. uh, this next Sunday of one who got it right and, and a couple who got it wrong. That's going to be fun because uh, I mean the the outside world views Acts 5 as weird. Very weird. I, 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 I think well, it's kind of weird too. To you know, it, it's, things uh, get things get goofy when God starts killing people in church. Yep. So what what a text that will drive home some of the points that Axe has already made, mm-hmm. and it'll prove that God is God is really serious about this. I, I see I see the holiness of God is not something to be taken lightly. Nope. And and when we do, we're on dangerous ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. God's so great. He he shows us so much grace. Oh man, I should be struck down like Annas and Sabiris. Uh, yeah, the the fact that God didn't kill me in my sleep last night is yep. testimony to His grace. He's good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a delight to have been with you again. And uh, thank you for tuning in for yet another episode of Everyday Theology, and we'll we'll be back next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Bye.